Yeah, you guys can have a seat. Well, welcome to Genesis. You guys feeling good so far? Good, good. Well, my name is Mike, and at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that when you walked in tonight that you felt welcomed and invited, and I also hope that you came with an open heart because we have prayed and prepared for you. And so we are glad that you're here tonight. Uh, if you noticed, there is, I talked about this last week, but there is a pen and a note card on your chair tonight. Next month, we are doing a series called You Asked For It, where we are taking your questions. You get to decide what we talk about next month. And, uh, and so tonight is the last night you get to submit a question. So if you haven't done that already, feel free to do that at some point tonight. Write a question down and you can drop it uh, in the back on your way out. But that's next month. That's going to be awesome. But before we get going tonight, I want to ask you a question. Has anyone ever had a bad experience at a restaurant? Okay, so pretty much everybody, right? Does anybody have one that's like over the top that would want to like share it? <laughs> She's like, eh, nope, not gonna share it. Anybody? Okay, good. Well, I have one for you just in case. All right, ready for this? So, uh, oh, you got one? You want to come over and share it? All right. All right, now, now hold on. Now, hold. Keep this PG now, all right? I'm always PG. I'm not used to having one of these. Uh, how are you doing? I'm Dylan. Uh, one night, my wife and I, we went to North Greenville, the little, yeah, let's go, baby, one in the house. But uh, no, we were, uh, we were in Greenville, and we went to the Waffle House off of Pelham Road. And uh, it was, a, it was a, crowded, a crowded Waffle House, and uh, I mean, the workers were doing the best job they could. But we walked in, and there was a gentleman there before us uh, sitting at the counter at the bar. And he called in his order, was taking it back to whoever. And they made it. He was waiting for a long time, so they made him four sausage patties to hold him over. And we were sitting there, like, hanging out. And dude was getting madder and madder and just getting more and more impatient. And so he, he, ate, he ate two of them and ended up walking off. Well... The workers were like, where'd this dude go? We got all his food. And so they were like, I was like, he left. They took the other two sausage patties, chopped them up, put them in somebody's grits, and sent them out the door. That's great. Let's give a round of applause to Dylan. You got to love Waffle House. That's great. Um, okay, I'll tell you my story. One time we went to, uh, it was right after I started interning here at Northwood, so like several years ago now. We, the staff went to Nukes uh, in Somerville right after it opened. And at Nukes, you don't have waiters or waitresses per se. You have like food runners basically. Well, we had like this, this large group of like 15 people. And so we sit down and the, the, the waitress slash food runner started, started, you know, she started passing out like the food and she was like calling out orders and, you know, we'd raise our hand, that's for me, whatever. Well, in the middle of doing that, she goes, you know, you guys didn't have to make this so complicated. And I like, or no, it wasn't me. It was this guy next to me whispered to me. And he said, she wasn't talking to us, was she? And she heard him say that. And she was like, yes, I was. Yeah. And so that was the first thing that happened. <laughs> Not long after that, or yeah, she gets to the other end of the table, still doing the same thing. And I guess this guy on the other end of the table wasn't paying attention. And his drink was in the way of, him, of her putting the food down. And so she walks over to him. She kicks his leg, okay? Kicks his leg. And she, and she goes, move your drink, okay? And so he's like, okay, you know, like, let me get it out of the way for you. And then after we ate, she started going around taking plates. 
And there was this one guy who hadn't ate much of his sandwich. And so she said, oh, do you want me to take that sandwich that you didn't eat? And at that point, I'm like looking around for the cameras, you know, like I was getting punked or something. Like it was like so over the top. I was like, this cannot be happening. Like this is not real life, right? Um, Well, she ended up getting fired from Nukes. Uh, And then, oh, wow. Um, So she ended up getting fired from Nukes. And then she started working at Carolina Ale House over by um, next to Starbucks. She ended up getting fired from there too because she said something to a friend of mine that I cannot repeat. So there's that. Okay, so there you go. That's my bad experience story. But the, uh, the experience, that experience, it didn't cause me to never eat nukes again. I've been back countless times since then. The problem wasn't the food. It was who was serving it. It was the waitress, right? The problem wasn't what they were serving. It was who was serving it. And so tonight, we're going to conclude our series, 21st Century Christian. And uh, it's been a great month. We had to cut a week because of the, the hurricane, but uh, we talked about comparison in week one, and we saw how the gospel is the, the, uh, the great equalizer. And, and then uh, last week, we talked about the in crowd and how the gospel is the great reversal when it comes to culture. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about another obstacle that is unique to our generation, unique to our time, and it's the obstacle of being part of the de-churched generation. So if you would, pray with me, and then we will jump into this. God, I thank you so much for bringing us here tonight, God, as a body of believers. God, I thank you that we all come here and we have different stories, different backgrounds, but we are united under one purpose tonight, and that is to see you lifted high. So God, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here at Genesis, and that we would be closer to you on the way out than we were coming in. We love you. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. Awesome. So for decades, the term unchurched has been used to describe people who weren't Christians or were skeptical or had little to no church background. But over the last few years, a new term has surfaced to describe our generation, and it's not unchurched, it's de-churched, okay? It's a term that describes someone who was raised in the church, but for one reason or another, has decided to defiantly walk away from everything that the church is. And there's been countless surveys that have been done to find out why, and all of them pretty much point to the same reason. They make it clear that those that walk away from the church are not doing so because of what the, what the church teaches. They don't have a problem with the message of Jesus. They don't have a problem with the teachings of Jesus. They have a problem with those who claim that message. It's not Christ that has driven them away. It's Christians. They don't have a problem with the food. They have a problem with who is serving it. And so as we talk about what we can do about this. I do want to be sensitive to, you know, to those who are here who may have had a bad experience in church. Uh, and I, but I also want to highly challenge those in here that do consider themselves Christians. And so if you would turn to Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15. And as you're turning there, I will give you some context. Uh, Romans was written by the apostle Paul uh, to the church in Rome. And where we're reading tonight, he's just got done discussing how we should not cause other believers to stumble and how we should look out for others within the faith. And then we get to what we'll read tonight, the beginning of chapter 15. Again, it's Romans 15. We're gonna start with verse one. This is one through four. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so Paul says, first of all, that those, who, those of us who are strong in our faith, not 
currently struggling, those of us who are doing okay in life, that we need to bear with the weaknesses of those around us who are struggling, who, who are having a hard time. And he says that we should all aim to build each other up and not use their weakness to make ourselves look better, right? And we need to do that because ultimately that's what Jesus did. And I think that's a great starting place for Christians, right? To maybe take a page out of Jesus's playbook and not condemning our brothers and sisters in Christ, but instead helping them and bearing their burdens and supporting them. Because it's a bad look to take somebody's shortcoming, somebody's failure to take their mistakes to make your life look better, right? To make yourself look more righteous or look more sanctified than them, right? Have you ever thought, man, can you believe so-and-so did that? I would never, right? Or can you believe so-and-so said that? I thought they loved Jesus, right? It's not good for a watching world when Christians are quick to beat each other when they're down. Let's keep reading. This is the next uh, three verses. This is five to seven. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So as Paul continues, he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement give you, uh, grant you to live in such harmony with one another so that we can together glorify God with one voice. And that's the dream, right? That's the, that's the utopia. But it's really not the reality that we often see. In God's perfect design, we would be one body with one voice, with uh, one mind or with one, in one accord. But a lot of times the, the big C church has a problem with that. You know, it's like the ultimate intramural teams, right? We compete against one another when in reality, we're all just part of the same group of people. And so it can be harder for those who are part of the church to reconcile these, these unhealthy actions of Christians with the truth of the message of Jesus, right? You, you could read a verse like this and it says, well, the scripture says to have one voice, but I look up and see a, a lot of different voices saying a lot of different things. Or the scripture says, hey, I need to live in harmony, but I look up and I don't really see a lot of harmony. And what that last verse says is the one that sticks out the most to me. Uh, it's, it's one that I've quoted often. It's really the one, of the, one that is the, the foundation of much of what we do here at Genesis. Verse seven says to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And I take that to mean that we need to have open doors, right? To all walks of faith, to all levels of faith, to all backgrounds, to all contexts, all walks of life, right? This, this young adult time of life that each of you are in, it's a, it's a place where the biggest questions of your life are asked, including questions about your faith. You know, it's a time where your faith becomes your own, where, where you get out from underneath your parents' roof for the first time. You get out from underneath your childhood. You get out from underneath your youth ministry and step into adulthood and start t- taking steps to mature Christianity. And if you don't have a place that welcomes you as you navigate that, then the church is failing. And Genesis, of course, wants to be that place for you. But on an individual level, as, a, as someone like you, someone like me, we are called to welcome others as Christ has welcomed us. And as Christians who interact with de-churched people all the time, the takeaway here is simple. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. The, the quickest way for you to be judgmental, the quickest way for us to be judgmental, the quickest way for us to be condemning to another Christian is for you to forget what Jesus saved you from. Right, I, I remember the jerk that I used to be, can still be. I remember the words that I used to say. I remember the, the things that I've done. I remember the, the life that I used to lead. And so keeping that in the memory box helps me to never forget what Jesus brought me out of. And you can do the same. 
Because the moment that we start to forget where we came from, the moment that our grace and patience with other believers starts to wane and weaken, right? Just as Christ welcomed me, if Christ welcomed my selfish, prideful, angry, lustful, unforgiving self, then I need to welcome others. And so we can see how the de-churched generation feels, right? Like I said, it's not Jesus that people have a problem with. It's Christians. It's the establishment of the church. It's not Christ, it's Christians. Why would you wanna eat a plate of forgiveness when it's served by someone unforgiving? Why would you wanna drink a cup of grace when it's served by someone who gives none away? And so what would you do? You'd step away from those people. You'd step away from that place. And you'd go try to find those things somewhere else. And that is exactly what we're seeing people do. Let's not forget where we came from. We need to welcome others as Christ has welcomed us. And so I wanna discuss how we can do this. I read this quote in an article years ago that uh, talked about this subject. And it's not like anything profound. It just really stuck with me. It's just one sentence. And it talks about the, or the article was about the de-churched demographic. And like I said, it always stuck with me because one, I understood it from the side of being a Christian, being around the church for a long time. But it also, it really hit me also because I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor and, and I see church from a, a different angle than, than others see it. And so, like I said, it's only a sentence, but this is what this person said when he was asked why he no longer was part of a church or of a body of believers. He said, I feel like the church just churched the church out of me. I feel like the church just churched the church out of me. Anyone ever felt that way? Like where, 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 uh, you know, like where you feel like, man, the, the formalities of church and just the way that it's always been done and the opinions that everybody has is just really draining me, right? And a couple of years ago when I read that, I was actually speaking on something similar here at Genesis. And I remember going around the office and just asking people like, hey, you ever felt this way? You ever felt like the church church the church out of you? And everyone was like, yeah, I have, Right? Sometimes, like I said, the formalities of church and the traditions of church can be draining where we get so stuck on the way that it's always been or our opinions on how it should be done. And this happens when we place the structure above the soul. This is what happens when we place the structure above the soul where we get so rigid and religious that we are not able to be sensitive to the person, to the soul. I, uh, my, my aunt is a great example of this. She, uh, she went to church when she was, she's in her 60s now. She went to church with uh, this church in in town uh, when she was late teenager in her 20s. And it was a, um, she went to this church and it was with her whole family went. And at the time, there was a pastor there who everybody loved, uh, like in terms of the the congregation, the people loved the pastor. Well, there was a deacon board that didn't like the pastor, just hated the guy. And the, the head deacon actually had influenced all these, the rest of these guys to not like him. Well, even, even, it even got to the point where, because they, they were trying to run him out because they didn't like him. It even got to the point where they, the, all, him and the deacons, right, the head deacon and the rest of them, went to the pastor's house and burned his yard, like burnt his grass. And at the time, because my, my mom and her, and her sister, so my aunt, they went to school with the pastor's son and they went to high school with him. And so they were like, I remember who this guy was in high school, the son, like he was like, always on drugs, like he was far from Jesus. Well, this pastor had led this guy to Christ. So he, the pastor had led the head deacon's son to Christ, and here is the head deacon burning the guy's yard. And so everybody is like, you should be thanking God for this man, like not trying to run him off. And so that put a really bad taste in my aunt's mouth. That's where she didn't go to church for 40 years 
because she got the church churched out of her. And she actually came here at Northwood for the first time in 40 years, two weeks ago. And it was a big win for our family. But it's like, I hear stories like that and I'm like, the church can be, the church can be rough on each other. Christians can be rough on one another. And so how does that look to a watching world, right? When you see someone who's in leadership at a church burning the yard of another guy in leadership, like, it's ridiculous. Well, that's how it is sometimes. So I'd hate to say that we got really good at church, but we're really bad at loving people. I'd hate to say that we were people who knew all the right songs, who knew all the right cliches, who knew all the right actions, but lost our witness to the world. I'd hate to say that we fell in love with church and not Jesus. I hate to say that we were experts in church, but missed Jesus in the process. As Christians, we don't wanna church the church out of people. We need to love people. We need to bear their burdens. We need to live life with people. We need to meet needs. We need to give grace. We need to be willing to put the soul above the structure. Francis Chan, he says this well. He says that Christians start arguing with each other the most when we forget that hell exists. We can't settle for just checking our box as Christians and then forget to do what God's called us to do. And that's to love him and love, love others, to love people. And we can put a dent in this problem by actually loving people as Jesus loves them so that the message of Christ is not smothered by the Christian that is sharing it. So when people walk into church, they feel welcomed. And not like they just walked into a country club that they don't belong to. And if we did that, we can really be, as Paul said, in one harmony and have one voice for the glory of God. If you're here tonight and you have been burned by the church or you've had experiences in the past or you've dealt with what we're talking about, I wanna say, first of all, that the church is full of, full of imperfect people, full of imperfect people and that the actions of whoever hurt you were not a reflection of Jesus. And I pray that you are able to offer the grace and the forgiveness to that person or to that place that they may not have been willing to give to you. Over the course of this month, we've seen that, like I said, when it comes to comparison, that the the gospel is the great equalizer. And we've seen when it comes to culture, that the gospel is the great reversal. When it comes to this topic tonight, the gospel is the great reminder. It's the great reminder. The reason Jesus came to earth to live and die and rise again was because we needed saving, right? The gospel reminds us of where we came from, broken, sinful, lost, condemned. But the gospel always reminds us of what, also reminds us of what has been done for us. We've been redeemed, we've been saved, we've been found and restored. Oswald Chambers said this well. He said that when Jesus opened the door to heaven, when he left earth, he left that door open for all to follow him through. The gospel doesn't pick favorites, It doesn't give grounds to condemn. What it does is point us to an open door that we didn't open and therefore have no right to close. So let's start treating those around us like Christ. So that when people see us, when people see the church, when they see Christians, when they get served the message of Jesus, those serving it look a lot like him. We're gonna conclude tonight with communion. And uh, we do communion because Jesus told us to. And uh, we, we usually, we end every series with communion. And, and Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him. And so the bread that you'll eat tonight, the juice that you'll drink tonight, it, it, the bread represents his body broken for us. The juice represents the, 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 his blood shed for us. And the way I like to think about it is communion is like a moment of recalibration, right? Where it's a time where we take the mistakes that we've made, the distance that we may have drifted, and we make a turn back to God. 
and we remember the sacrifice that he made. We remember the body broken, the blood shed, and that it's by that body and blood that we've been saved. It's like, I like to think about it, it's like a visual thing. If you have a bunch of little magnets on a table and then you put this big magnet over top of it and all the little ones go to the big one, right? A lot of times in our life, we feel like we've got all these little broken pieces. But when we recalibrate in a moment like this, God takes those little pieces onto himself. So I encourage you tonight, take a moment, thank Jesus for welcoming you when you were uh, unwelcomable, if that's a word. And, um, and take a moment, make a decision to welcome those around you. And we can start to make the, the 21st century church full of people who look a lot like Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for the uh, incredible example that you've given us in Jesus. God, that you didn't pick favorites. Uh, you, didn't, uh, you didn't condemn us, God, when we were uh, worthy of being condemned. God, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. So God, I thank you for that. And I pray that we would take the way that we've been welcomed and we would turn and start welcoming others the same way, that we would welcome people as Christ has welcomed us. And God, I pray over anybody in here tonight that is scarred, that is hurt from being burned by the church. God, I pray that they would find you tonight. They would offer grace and forgiveness tonight. And they would take their eyes off those who hurt them and put their eyes on you. And we thank you, God, that though sometimes we act like the imperfect people we are, God, it's not a reflection of you. So God, I pray that tonight that we would feel you in a new way, experience you in a new way, and remember what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.